I'd like for you to turn to the text with me, which is the 10th chapter of John. And I want to read verses 1 through 5 of the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. All this summer we've been trying to find some keys as to how to live the Christian life. And what I am about in the last few weeks, I think, is to try to teach us how to recognize the voice of God and obey it. How to recognize when God speaks to us and to obey His voice. Well, you see, God has designed you and me to be able to communicate with us. He's designed us so that He can talk to us. And the Scripture says that He gives us ears to the soul. That is, He gives us a capacity to hear God when He speaks. Now, why else would the Holy Spirit come to indwell us except that He might commune with us or communicate to us? Why would he come to indwell us if He did not come for the purpose of communicating to us. And how else does He communicate to us except by, his, by speaking to the mind with thoughts to the mind? Have you ever heard God speak audibly? You've never seen His handwriting in the sky, I'm sure. But you may have heard God speak and didn't even know it because he speaks with thoughts to the mind. You say, well, we have God's word, that's true. Let me say something here. At the risk of being misunderstood and called a heretic, but I think it's true and needs to be said. There's a tremendous controversy going on among Southern Baptists concerning the Bible, the inerrancy of scripture, etc. And we need to be very careful lest we make a God of the Bible. Uh, we, we need to be very careful lest we make a God of the Bible and give the Bible a place that was never intended for us to give it. You see, what is the greater, to have the book or the author of the book? I mean, you can have every copy of a book and never know the author of that book. You can have every copy of this scripture and not know the author of this scripture and never understand what this book means. You see, the greater is to have the author of the book so that the greatest asset of the Christian, what is the greatest asset of the Christian? 
the greatest asset of the Christian is that he has the Lord indwelling him in the person of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling Holy Spirit speaks to him, communicates with him. God speaks to man. Now some of us have said, oh, if Jesus were just here beside us, if he were just here as he was 2,000 years ago, it would be so easy to live the Christian life for all you'd have to do is just follow Jesus around. Let me tell you something. Jesus is more available to you than he was to Peter and James and John. For this other Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, indwells you. He is more available to you than he was to Peter, James, and John. So that the greatest asset of the Christian is that Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit lives in him to speak to him. Now the most frequently asked question is this, how do I know when God speaks to me when it's God's voice and not the devil's voice or my own? That's a big question. And Jesus says that his sheep hear his voice, know his voice, won't even follow strangers because it doesn't know the voice of strangers. So I want to tell you some things that might be helpful into how to recognize God's voice. I want to be very practical this morning with you and you just may want to write some of these things down because I want to help you to recognize the voice of God. And I believe that the crisis of Christianity is at this point that we don't know when God is speaking to us. So how do we know what to do? First of all, when God speaks, He is very personal. He is very personal. He never says, you all. Um, the scripture says that he calls the sheep by name. Did you notice that? I mean, he doesn't just say, you sheep, now follow me. He calls the sheep by name. That is to say that he deals with us individually. He is very personal. He deals with us individually. Now, there's a tremendous Old Testament illustration of that. It's the story of Hagar, who was the handmaiden of Sarah. You know that story. Abraham took her for his wife so she could bear him a son that Sarah could never bear. But when God did the miracle in Sarah's womb and Isaac was to be born, Sarah was jealous of Hagar, her handmaiden. And so she said to her husband, Abraham, there's not enough room in this tent for both of us. That's in the margins. There's not enough room in this tent for both of us. Get rid of her. And so he did. He banished her. And here was this handmaiden of, 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 of Sarah's out in the desert, abused and misused and confused. And she gets way off out in the desert and sits down a great distance from her son and cries to the Lord and God speaks to her. And the first thing he said was, Hagar, he called her by name. I mean, he didn't talk about Abraham. He didn't talk about Sarah. When he spoke to her, he spoke to her. And he said, what's troubling you? And there's a marvelous New Testament illustration of it. It took place the, night, the, the day after Jesus was resurrected. And out there around that Sea of Galilee, Jesus encounters Simon Peter. And he tells Simon Peter, you're going to... You're going to one day be carried where you would not go, signifying by what death he was to die. And Simon Peter looks over and sees John. He says, well, what about him? 
And Jesus said, if he lives until I return, what is that to you? Now you follow me. For when God deals with us, speaks to us, he deals with us individually. He talks to us. Now sometimes when I have a relationship problem or I come out of a committee meeting or a deacon's meeting and something didn't go like I thought it should, I've gone to God with that, in that behalf. You know what I found? Usually God will say to me, now before we talk about them, let's talk about you. <laughs> now I'm not too excited about that most of the time, but you know I've noticed that before God lets me talk too much about you, he wants, and the changes that you need to make, God usually is talking to me about me and the changes I need to make. He's extremely personal. And because he is personal, he is always relevant. He is always relevant. He never talks about, he doesn't talk too much about the morals. Do you think this God who said, take no thought of tomorrow, is going to spend a whole lot of time talking to you about tomorrow? Now I may go to the Lord and say, now Lord, on October the 24th, I've got this note due at the bank and I'm not going to be able to pay it. I just know I'm not. I've got this problem October the 24th that I want to talk to you about. God said, well, that's just fine, but let's talk about August the 24th. That doesn't mean that God is not concerned about our tomorrows, but it does mean that God is more concerned about our todays. For the only time on God's timetable is now. He's the God of the now. He is concerned about our tomorrows, but He's more concerned about daily bread, about the fact you couldn't sleep last night, about that child who is bringing you grief, about the pain that you're experiencing right now that's terrifying you. For God is so relevant, He wants to deal with the nows. And He's concerned that you come off from from home to college and right now there's a kind of a hole inside there that's so lonesome and, 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 and lonely. He's extremely relevant. And because he's personal, because he deals in the present and, and is extremely personal, he communicates with us on our level. Isn't that the way you deal with your children? Now watch this. There's not a father here who gets his two-year-old, three-year-old son and says to him, now son, you've got some responsibilities as a grown, uh, grown man. You've got some responsibilities and what I want you to do today, this is your responsibility. I want you to mow the lawn and trim the hedges and, and edge the yard. That's your responsibility. You're not going to say that. You're going to communicate with your son where he is. This is what you're going to say. Son, you make me very happy when you pick up your toys after you play with them. That just makes me so happy. Now, come on, let me show you what, I, what will make me happy today. When you get through playing with these toys, come here, this is what I want you to do. You take this toy and you put it over here in this toy box. That's how you're going to talk to your children. You're going to communicate them at the level where uh, you're going to communicate with them where they're at. Now, what we want, to, what we expect is that God's going to talk to us about these big things. These spectacular, supernatural, miraculous things. We, talk, we, 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 we expect that God's going to talk to us about the miraculous and the mighty and the spectacular and the big. You know, it sure is hard to hear God when you're expecting Him to tell you to smuggle Bibles into Russia in your suitcase or walk across America carrying a cross. 
It sure is hard to hear God when you're expecting Him to say that. Now let me show you something. God may never tell you to walk across Europe carrying a cross on your back. But He may tell you to walk across the street and bear witness to a lost neighbor. And He may tell you to take a cake across the street to some sick friend. He may tell you that, but you may never hear Him tell you that because you're listening for God to tell you to take a cross across America. preacher came in my office one time and he said, I'm, I'm gathering up support. He says, I think God has told me to smuggle Bibles into Russia. He said, I, I, I want to, I've got to get my own support. He said, God, I think it's telling me to carry smuggle Bibles, be the God smuggler of these Eastern Bloc countries. And I said, well, that's just fantastic. You better be sure God tells you to do that before you try it. About six months after that, I was going in the hospital. A lady stopped me. She said, aren't you Pastor Tidwell? And I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I want you to visit. Would you visit a friend of mine? I said, she's not a Baptist, and she doesn't go to your church, but she needs to talk to some preacher. She said, her pastor's been so busy, he hadn't been able to get by to see her. Would you visit her? I said, of course I will. Went in to see her and got talking to her. You know who her pastor was? You got it. Is that guy listening for God tell him smuggle Bibles into Russia? Now, while this woman was lying in a hospital bed, needing to talk to a preacher, a pastor, he was listening for God to tell him to take Bibles into Russia. It sure is hard to hear God when you're listening for God to say something big. For most of the time, listen kids, most of the time when God speaks, He tells us to do something that we can do. It's pretty mundane and normal. He just told Simon Peter, cast your nets on the other side, and he caught a, a, a draught of fishes, nearly sank the boat. And I'm convinced that when he caught that, cast those nets over there and caught that great load of fish, that he was as spiritual as he, then as he was when he preached his sermon at Pentecost. For when God speaks to us, He usually tells us to do those mundane, ordinary things that we call trifle. Something you can do. And I'll tell you what kind of a guy I am. I'll get a book and read and memorize 700 ways how to love my wife, how to be a better husband. Now there's nothing wrong with that. God uses uh, books and authors of books to speak to people. But you know the other day I was reading one of these books on how to be a better husband, how to love my wife. 700 ways. So I just, you know, I said, well, I'm just going to try that. I said, Lord, can you help me today to be a better husband and love my wife a better, you know, today? He said, well, I'll tell you what you can do. You can pick up all the clothes you've scattered around the bathroom in there on the, on the bedroom floor. I mean, she'd appreciate, you know, you starting there. That's the way, it's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. And while we're listening for God to give us some kind of spectacular guidance in these marvelous ways, God just speaks to us in these mundane ways. Now listen carefully. If God speaks to me and He tells me that I have some sin in my life that I need to get out, I cannot assume that God has told everybody else that. You know what has given the Christian religion a black eye? It's some old boy who has heard from God that he needs to get rid of something in his life and he expects that everybody else has the same word from God. You know what I'm talking about. Here's an old boy and he's praying to God and God says, I need, you need to take that television out of your house. That's a bad influence on you. 
And that guy, you know, I mean, that's some word from the Lord. And he better obey that if that's from the Lord. He better do that. So he takes that television out. You know what he expects? He expects all the rest of us to take our televisions out. And, and if we don't take our televisions out, you know what he, he you know he gets kind of judgmental and he gets kind of pharisaical and, and, he, and he thinks, well, since God told me to take my television out an evil influence, I've got a right to assume he's told everybody else that. No, he doesn't have that right. So if God speaks to my heart, I can't assume that that's relevant for everybody else because God is speaking to me. What I better take care of is me. Does that make any sense? Okay, we'll go to point two if that makes sense. Point two. God doesn't drive us. He leads us. God never drives us. He leads us. Now the text says that the shepherd calls the sheep by name and they follow him. And I was reading that the other day. It just leaped out of that page. It said this that the shepherd and the sheep had such a relationship that all the shepherd had to do was say, call the name and start walking. Now that's the relationship that we need in the Christian life. That all he has to do is say the name and start walking. But you see, God is never going to raise his voice to you. He's never going to shout to you. He's not going to force you. You don't need to think that God's going to whip you into doing something. Somebody said to me recently, you know, I'm just kind of bitter that, that God had to do this to, to change this over here. And I said, where'd you get that idea? God's not going to take a loved one in order to get somebody else straightened out. Elijah learned a great lesson from God. Listen to this. He learned that God speaks in a still and quiet voice. Now that means that if, I, if God speaks in a still, quiet voice, I'm going to have to get still and quiet to hear Him. You say, well, what about Carmel? Well, it's true that God might speak to false prophets by tumbling fire down from heaven to an altar. But the most of the time when God speaks to His people, to whom he has given capacity for hearing, he speaks in a still, quiet voice. And I'm going to have to get still and quiet to hear him. And it's an inward voice. You know what that means? It means that if he speaks within me, and you may say, well, God spoke to me audibly. I'm not going to deny that. Who am I to deny that anybody's spiritual or religious experience? But I do have a problem with it. If you say God spoke to me from heaven audibly, I've got a big problem with that because God didn't speak to His Son like that except for th three times in 33 years. But what God does do is that He speaks to us inwardly. Now watch this. If God speaks inwardly in a still, quiet voice, I've got to get still and quiet inwardly to hear Him. Isn't that amazing? And what we must do somehow... And in my Christian pilgrimage I'm trying to get there is to stop thinking of God as a kind of a plantation boss who has this big load he wants us to tote and understand that what God wants to do when he speaks to us is just love on us. Let me tell you, kids, young people, you know when God has to say to you today what he wants to say to you, he might just want to tell you how good you look. He might just want to love on you a little bit tell you how much he loves you 
how much he appreciates what you're about. Now I need to say two things about that. If when God speaks to us, he, con- he convicts us, but He doesn't condemn us. Now watch this. If you have a voice inside of you that's always saying, well, you're, you're just terrible, you're doing something bad, you're just a sorry rascal, you know that's not the voice of the Lord. He convicts, but He doesn't condemn. Now this is the difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation is the voice of the devil that wants to get you down and make you feel guilty and terrible. Conviction is this. It's God telling you what you did wrong and what you can do about it. Now when I get convicted, it's this. God just comes to me and He says, All right, Gerald, this is what you did wrong and this is what you need to do about it. That's conviction and I better respond to that. Condemnation is what the devil does. But there's some of us that think we need to feel guilty. I mean, we got all this information inside of us that says we're terrible sinners, we're trash, and so we should feel bad all the time. I've even had people say to me after a sermon, that was a great sermon, you made me feel terrible. That's the way we associate it. it, it we, we, we should feel bad. I, I, I knew about a preacher that he got up one Sunday morning, now this is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, and he said to his congregation, he said, how many of you here this morning have not sinned one single time, stand up. Not a single person stood up. If anybody had stood up, we'd have probably looked at them and said, oh, look at that self-righteous, arrogant person. But so he came to the second question. He said, how many of you have already sinned today? You're a sinner and you've sinned today. Everybody there lifted their hand, including the preacher's wife. So at the dinner table, he just kind of curious. He said, I noticed that you didn't stand up on the first question. She said, no. He said, you lifted your hand that you'd sinned already today on the second question. She said, yes. He said, well, just out of curiosity, what have you done? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know what I did. I don't, I don't really know, but said, I know I've probably sinned. And I might as well go ahead and confess it. Isn't that the way we operate? I mean, I'm just a terrible sinner, and I've already sinned. I might as well admit it. Do do you believe that a Christian, watch this, do you believe a Christian can live one minute without sin? You better hope he can. Let me tell you how to live this week without sin. Live every minute of this week without sin for one minute. Let me tell you how long you can live without sin. You can live as long without sin as you choose to obey God in everything. So if you choose to obey God in everything, you can live that long without sin. Isn't that marvelous? And any other voice that tells you that you're gonna, you're a sinner, you might as well sin, is not of God. Second thing I need to say about that is that God will correct our behavior, but He will never condemn our character. So if you hear a voice inside of you saying, you're just a sorry so-and-so, you're a terrible person, you're just, you're wicked, you might as well go ahead and sin, you're a sinner, that's not of God. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, hold on preacher, you're getting pretty close to making light, minimizing sin. I'm not minimizing sin. 
I'm just trying to get you to see that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And the next statement was that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of righteousness. Now I know you've heard sermons preached where we say, where preachers say, we need to let the Holy Spirit convict us of how wrong we are. And that's true. But how many sermons have you ever heard where the preacher said, we need to let the Holy Spirit convict us of how right we are? I'm not minimizing sin. If you had two guys up here at the platform dressed up, one was dressed up in a beautiful white suit, linen suit, and the other was over here in dirty Levi's and a sweaty, dirty T-shirt, who's going to be the most careful with dirt? This guy has a dirty Levi's and a dirty, sweaty T-shirt. I mean, one more squirt of oil, what's that going to hurt? But this guy in a linen, beautiful white suit he gets a little spotty oh no I got a spot on my suit let me tell you something I'm trying to get you to see watch this that you have the righteousness of Christ and what the Holy Spirit may be saying to you is this you have the righteousness of Christ you are the temple of the Holy Spirit you have been cleansed in salvation's experience now watch out for the dirt Understand that you are the abode of God Himself and He doesn't like an unforgiving spirit and He doesn't like pride. Quit swelling yourself up in pride. Watch out. You, got, you have the righteousness of Christ. Watch out for the dirt. That's maybe what the Holy Spirit's saying to you rather than you're a terrible sinner. Isn't that amazing? One last thought, please. When God speaks to you, He's always hopeful. If you come away from the Lord feeling despair and hopelessness and despondency, you haven't been with the Lord, for He's always hopeful. Somebody said God won His reputation by mercy. Now watch this. That's a tremendous statement. I don't hear too many profound statements. That's one of them. God won His reputation by mercy. He didn't win His reputation by wrath. He didn't win His reputation through power. He won his reputation through mercy. God is like God is love. So when you come from God, you're going to come away hopeful if you've heard from him. Oh, he's going to make you feel. I've gone into my quiet time just so down and despondent. As a matter of fact, most of the time when I get down and despondent, it's because I've, I've neglected to be with God. When I come out from God's presence, I just feel so, I feel so excited. Now John says that the hireling, the false shepherd will force his way in, but the shepherd comes through the door. Now watch this. The door into which he enters to speak to your mind is the door of your will. You know what that means? It means that if you want God to speak to you, if you're willing for God to speak, He will. Now, watch this carefully. If you need guidance and you need some word from God, I promise you by the authority of His word, He will speak to your mind or He will tell you why He won't tell you. He'll tell you what you need to know or he'll tell you why he's not going to tell you what you need to know. But he's going to tell you. Now, they give you four full warnings. I got two minutes to do it. 
I'll just mention them. Some warnings. Underline these in color. When you listen to God, remember that God speaks in, in the realm. He speaks in the bonds of Christian of the biblical revelation. Now watch this. There are a lot of goofy folks out there who are doing a lot of goofy things who are saying God told me to do it. But if God speaks to you and tells you, communicates with you concerning some matter, He's going to speak within the bounds of the biblical revelation. And if He's told you something that is out of bounds to the biblical revelation, it's not a word from God. Second warning. Be careful with the big things that involve other people. The splintered church is the result of somebody who has said... God told me to do this. And whenever you're dealing with something that involves other people, even your family, be very careful with it. Third, don't try to make it last forever. In other words, if God is speaking to you today and tells you something, and you, that, that doesn't mean that's going to be that way forever. If God has told you that you need to do this last year and you did it and you've lived that way, it may be that you need... That, that, that God has another uh, a step further for, on, that, that, on that matter. I mean, maturity and growth enters in. You talk to a 10-year-old boy about girls, he doesn't care anything about that. You come back when he's 14 and talk about them, I guarantee you'll talk about them. The reason why is because in the maturing process, his attitude toward the subject's changed. <laughs> now, God may give you some simple word about something today, but don't say that's forever. Because God may grow you into a greater thing. You follow me? One last thing. Don't neglect certain channels. If God gave me my wife, and I know He did. There's no question in my mind about that. If He gave me my wife to perfect me and to fulfill me, don't you think that God's going to speak through my wife to me? You bet she is. Now, I don't enjoy hearing from God through my wife. <laughs> I really don't. I, that's not the most, I don't list that in top tens. You, I, I, you know, I'd rather go 200 miles and spend $500 and get a workbook that I could work on for, for a lifetime and let, let Bill Gothard tell me what... God wants me to know and I could stay at home and God might do that for free in five minutes through my wife. I, I've noticed that. But I don't like necessarily to listen to God through my wife. Don't neglect that. Let me tell you something. That poor guy that lives across the dorm from you might have some word from God for you. Do you know that? One time my, my daughter, who is now 27 years old, said something very innocently to me that, that changed my life. Now she wasn't critical, she wasn't condemning me in any way. I mean innocently she said something to me that I had to repent for a week to get over. You know why? Because God was speaking to me through that daughter. Let me tell you something. You came here today because it's the right thing to do on Sunday morning.
but I have a feeling God has something to say to you when you came. It might have been in Sunday school. It might have been walking down the hall. It might be in this sermon right here. That's the big deal about today. I heard a woman give her testimony. She said, I was sitting one day out looking at a western sunset, beautiful sunset. I was just looking at that thing, and God spoke to my mind and said, see that beautiful sunset? You're more beautiful to me than that. Isn't that beautiful? He said, that girl said, God said to me, I've spent my time painting that beautiful sunset on that western horizon, but I'd stop working on the sunset if you needed me. You're more beautiful to me than that. Oh, that'll do something for you, ego. Oh, friends, the crisis of the Christian life is to learn how to hear God. Now, he's going to speak to you this morning. He's already done it many times, and he's going to say to you, you're lost, you're a member of a church, you've been baptized, but you're lost. Or he's going to say to you, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to be saved this morning, son, come on. Or he's going to say to you today, I want you to join this church. You're going to say, well, it's so big, it's so impersonal, so many people there, I want to look around. God never speaks in generalities. He speaks to you. He's not talking about other people in this church. He's talking about you. Or He's going to say to you, you've got this in your life. Now, I'm not talking about somebody else. I'm talking about you. He's saying, you've got this in your life. You need to give to God. You need to give to me. The condition by which you get further revelation from God is obedience to the known revelation. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in this moment, in the still and quiet heart, we can hear your voice, do your will, and be happy. And I know, Lord, that you have a purpose for us, and a will for us, and a desire for each of us. And I pray, God, that every one of us will be just like Samuel and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I'm tuned in what you want. There will be perfect and complete obedience because I pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Now in a very prayerful spirit, would you stand while Aaron leads our choir? We invite you to come in response and obedience to God while we sing.